You're listening to Gameplay with Matthew Cause on TSN 1050. Embrace the odds. I want winners. Welcome back, everybody. The second hour of Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. You are listening to TSN 1050. Remember, stream us at tsn1050.ca. You can find us at the iHeartRadio app as well. Also, happy birthday, Alec Manoa. 25 years old today. Blue Jays, sign those extensions. Get Bichette done. Get Manoa done. Get Vlad done. Start spending. Eh, it'll cost you around $600 million. But what do you care? There's no salary cap. Just get it done. Um, by the way, the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're going to get Jim Ralph on the show in just a second. The Leafs' next game against the Predators. You can listen to it right here on TSN 1050 on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And joining us now, one of our favorites. Uh, uh, am I still allowed to say Happy New Year? Or now that it's like a week since uh, it's done? What, what do I do here, Jim? Um, watch a Seinfeld episode. I think we'll find it there. Curb your enthusiasm. They usually have all the timelines. So. Okay, well, if it's... On, on when, on when things are outdated. Okay, if it's curb, then I'm going to say then no. I can't see. Uh, I I can't see on curb your enthusiasm where Larry is still saying Happy New Year on January 9th. So I'll just say good afternoon. Our TSN 1050 Maple Leafs color announcer is Jimmy Ralph. Um, Jim, I'm going to give you three options. You can only pick one from last night's game. Are you ready? All right. What sticks out the most for you? Option one, depth scoring. Option two, the crazy passes by Marner on the Yarncrack goal and Tavares on the Matthews power play goal. Or option three, the play of Matt Murray. Depth scoring, crazy passes, Matt Murray. What stuck out for you the most in last night's 6-2 win over the Flyers? I'm going to go depth scoring. You know, when when you have guys, Aston Reese gets in the board, Connor Timmons scores his. Uh, first goal of his career, replacing T.J. Brody. And, you know, I think that's that's always been one of the concerns in the postseason, where that if your top guys aren't putting the puck in the back of the net, you're in trouble. And uh, and I really like the, um, you know, Cam Fengvall uh, Kerfoot line, uh, you know, which didn't figure into it last night. But um, I think when, uh, you know, you get to the look at Nick Paul in Game 7 against the Leafs last year for Tampa, um I think if you can if you can ride that and that becomes a little more consistent, um, takes a little heat off the big boys to to make the big plays all the time. Yeah, and it's funny we always talk about goaltending or defense or this or that, but in the end, every time the Leafs have been eliminated in the playoffs, it's because they've scored two goals or fewer in the elimination game. So let, let's stick with the depth for a second. And we say on the front end, th- these are small sample sizes. We say that on the front end, Yarncroc uh, has been great since coming back from injury. I'm not saying has he solved the problem at the wing position on the second line, but I, I'm just curious, where is he on that journey to at least finding a permanent home with John Tavares? Yeah, no, I'm, I think he's um, he's your choice. And then let's not forget, it took a while to get somebody to play with Matthew and Marner last year. Yeah. You know, before Michael Bunting finally got the opportunity. And, you know, even uh, you know when they put Marner and Tavares together, uh, they tried Kerfoot there. They tried Dennis Melvin, uh, Nick Robertson, and um, you know they they finally find something that that has clicked for them. So um, I think you got to give them a lot of credit. I think he's above a point a game since coming back from injury, and um, to me looks like a much much different, much more confident guy in the uh, uh, since his return than he was uh, in a start with the Leafs. 
And I think for Jan Kroc, he also, like, he's talked about it. He's like, playing with Marner and playing with Tavares makes my job a lot easier. And he's not the only one that, that's thought this, but I always, I'm always curious about guys like Jan Kroc, and we've seen a lot of different wingers where they have to look at that line and realize this is a great opportunity um, just in terms of being able to produce points. Yeah, I mean, you still have to, like I said, uh, a lot of guys have auditioned for that spot. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't love a regular position, uh, you know, alongside Marner or John Tavares? And, it, um, you know, I, I think he's kind of um, trying to take away from any personal accolades. But uh, you've got to give him credit. I mean, he, he seems faster um, the last few games. And I think, you know, if he can be the guy that gets in on the forecheck, like Michael Bunting does for uh, Willie Nylander and Austin Matthews, um, you know, drive to the net. And, uh, I mean, when you're on with Mitch Marner, I mean, just uh, if he's got the puck, go to the net, put your stick down and whistle. You know, he'll find he'll yeah. find you for the first goal in Philly last night. So, he, uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit. It, uh, you know, you always think it's easy playing with star players, but, um, you know, there's it seems to, to have to go to the lab all the time and experiment before you finally get the right batch. Oh, yeah. I remember during some of the Olympic years, way back in the day, people were wondering, well, what's the best line, uh, who are the best players to be with Sidney Crosby? When Crosby was Pete Crosby, this is a normal thing. And, yeah, shout out to Mitch Marner. Um, that cross-ice pass to Yarncroc on the first goal was definitely a thing of beauty. Um, maybe the, the best thing we can say about Connor Timmins, because people are like, well, now he should be permanent. And, and then it's like, okay, well, if he's permanent, then who are you taking out? But I, I think the, the best thing we can say about Connor Timmins is there's now less fear uh, the next time, and I know Brody is hurt, but the next time we have that really long extended injury to the defense, that the very least the Maple Leafs have a good backup plan if there is an injury. Yeah, and you know, let's not forget Jordy Ben is you know, when he came in, he, he was pretty solid for them as well. So, um, you know, and, and it was unfortunate that Dr. Mate got a shot and got hurt, and Ben got a shot and got hurt. Um, you know, a lot of things happened before the you know, the deal for Connor Timmons was even made. And um then it's a matter of, you know, he's a guy that was was on his way down. Um I believe going to the American League uh, for Arizona. And, um, you know, it was, you know, sometimes the timing sucks for a player, whether it's an injury, and sometimes the timing is absolutely perfect. But uh, you give him credit because he, uh, now, I mean, I think the team as a 5-9 unit have been playing much better this year than they have probably over the last five or six years for the most part. And um, But it, it does start to feel like it's plug and play. Like we've got a good system here. Know your job. Um, you know, keep it simple most of the time. And, um, Connor Timmons has done that, plus you know, shown a, a little bit of an offensive player as well. Yeah. Oh no. Yes. I. I. I think he's just as passing. He's been great since day one. Gets his first goal, and uh, it's it, it's been a very nice, uh, positive surprise for the Maple Leafs. The play of Connor Timmons. Uh, we're joined by Jim Ralph, and again, the next time you'll hear Ralphie on this station Wednesday. The next time the Leafs are in action against the Predators. Um, Jim, I, I'm sure people have asked you this, or you were thinking about it after last night's game. The Leafs are at the midway point, uh, where you know 41 games in. If if not for how great Boston is, they might be the number one team right now. They're tied with Carolina for the most points in the East. Uh, the Leafs team this year versus last year are they about the same in terms of regular season uh, level? Are they better or are they worse when you compare this year's team to last year's? Is there anything that sticks out? 
Yeah, uh, you could have asked me this six years in a row, and I'll tell you the same. Wait, wait, hold on. Can I guess? Can I guess? Can <laughs> sure. I? It means nothing. Means nothing until the playoffs. Were you about to give me a nihilistic answer there, uh, Jimmy Ralph? Oh no, no, no. My answer was going to be I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's yeah, a good answer. Know, because because every year you know you like certain things. Jack Campbell comes in for Freddie Anderson, and Jack Campbell got on a roll. And you thought, you know what, he might be able to, to give you the goal setting. And, and he was solid last year against Tampa in the seven-game series. Yeah, uh, he was. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that happen, but, you know, it, um, you know, you can blame it on the playoff format, but it's very difficult not to imagine the Tampa-Toronto first round again. So oh, that's, that's what another great season gets you is a team that's been in the finals three years in a row. That's just, you know, Jim, we've been having a really lovely conversation. It's been nice catching up with you. But I I just, I don't think I, I don't think I'm psychologically or emotionally prepared to see Vasilevsky again in the playoffs. I'd rather Toronto just tank and face someone else. I just don't want it to be Tampa. Yeah, well, I mean, what's, what's Florida about 14 points back, something like that? Seventeen. They are seventeen games back or points back. Uh, Excuse me. So they got to move. They got to move into the top three for the the least become a wild card spot. Uh. uh, Yeah, I mean that that doesn't mean that the the rest of the season is irrelevant. I think you you like the way the Leafs handled Tampa and Toronto a few weeks ago. Um, You know, when you try to build off it, but you're right. uh, You get into a playoff series. There's, you know, if there's one guy in the league that you'd like to start uh, the playoffs with. It's probably the guy in Tampa. Yeah, it really is. So we'll uh, we'll just move on from that before I get more and more sad. Um, your thoughts are like, I don't want to say, oh, a bounce-back performance from Matt Murray, who wasn't great his last performance against Seattle when he gave up five goals and, you know, gave up four goals a couple games before that against Arizona. Uh, just, um, you know, just on a micro level, a, a nice night last night for Matt Murray against Philly. Yeah, and Samson off the night before against Detroit as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it is kind of funny, though, because it seems like they mirror each other. You know, one guy goes well, the other guy goes well. One guy struggles, the other guy seems to have some struggles. So, um, you know, as long as as long as long you got one guy that's, uh, that's on a roll going into the postseason, I think that's what you're hoping for. But, um, you know, again, and, and also when the guys, you know, struggled those three or four games when, you know, the St. Louis games and Seattle – um, defensively, the Leafs weren't great in front of them either. And I know that's at a time that you want your goalie to stay on his head and steal a game, but um, they were probably, you know, just like the last two games are a byproduct of, of the defensive play in front of them. But um, I thought, you know, other than the connect me goal, which uh, five hole along the ice, um, even back in my era, Matty, that was a bad one, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it was nice to see him bounce back after that. Yeah, and on that one also, part of that goes on Marner. Uh, that was a bad pass. Konecki looked like a free safety out there intercepting that one. Hey, Jim, always, always appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining the show. We'll be listening to you on Wednesday night against the Predators. Yeah, well, happy happy New Year, Matt. Oh, there it is. Happy <laughs> New Year to you and yours, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, thanks, bud. Take care. That is Jim Ralph, color man for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, in radio, we often do a thing where there's big news and then we tease it, you know, to make sure that you stick around. We want you to be listening. But I, Horvat, I feel like we just give the news now. Um, Damar Hamlin has been released from the hospital and is returning to Buffalo. 
And the doctors in Cincinnati said DeMar Hamlin has been up and doing assisted walks since Friday. This is absolutely fantastic news. And maybe I could have saved it for the other side, but bleep it. Uh, I, wanted, uh, I saw that just now come across uh, the desk, and I wanted to get that out there for the listeners. Uh, incredible! Just the, I'm I'm not sure there's any other way to put it. Uh, how how far we've come in just over a week? How how bleak things looked uh, after Monday night last night? So uh, just incredible! Yeah, a hundred percent. That is just wonderful, wonderful news. What a difference a week makes. By the way, in the last 227 games played by the New England Patriots, they had allowed two. Kickoff return touchdowns. They allowed two on Sunday with the running back, uh, Hines, Nyman Hines, former running back of the Colts, was the one getting it done. A guy who uh, was traded to the Buffalo Bills. How happy do you think he is right now? How happy do you think he is knowing that he is no longer on the horrible Colts team? By the way, I love this. Jeff Saturday says he wants the full-time job in Indianapolis. Now, no interview's been set up. He expects uh, Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, to remain, and that if he gets the full-time job, he says he'd set, he'd set everything up much differently from the very first start. And I thought Al's brother, give credit to Michael DiStefano, who tweeted out, whatever happened to, if I'm not any good, God bless you. Jeff Saturday went 1-7, and seven, and I, I think... It was a minus 80, so they were getting outscored by 20 points a game? It was the manner. It, it, it wasn't that they lost. I think anyone could look at the roster and say, not yeah, they're not, they're, not, they're not a good team. They're not going to win a ton of games. It was the way in which they lost. Yeah. Uh, he, he looked overmatched, and t- t- to hear that he has any chance of getting the job, I, I, I find that shocking. Well, yeah, especially because, like, hey, listen, if I, don't do a, if I do a great job, huzzah. If I do a bad job, I'll move on my way. And except I won't. Except, except I won't. It's like you were there when the, the the biggest historic collapse in the history of the NFL. You were the coach. You know, like, like, like he got to go. You know, go back to go back to TV. It's much much easier. I feel like it would be a little bit awkward for him to go back to TV now because. Like he's going to be beside his peers, like Rex Ryan, who was mm. ripping on him. I don't know. Like, yeah, he, that's a good point. That is a good NFL Network. You know, if he if he wants, he can come on my podcast. He can come on the Matt Talks Wine and Stuff with Interesting People podcast. We'll we'll get him on. The, I'll find space for him. What do you think? Uh, what do you think his wine of choice would be? Ooh, let's see. Midwest uh, Grinder. He's he's a big full bodied fella. He's a he's a Napa Cabernet. He's minimum fifteen percent alcohol. That's uh, that's what I'm, I'm going I'm to put him at. All right. On the other side, we put, there's so much good sound. We're going to spin the wheel, uh, the wheel of sound, including Fred Van Vliet addressing any talks about whether he was or was not offered an extension by the Raptors. We'll do that next, right here on Gameplay. I was listening to that promo from First Up with. Carlo Koliakovo talking about Fred Van Vliet. And the Raptors are an incredibly confusing, confounding, and frustrating team. A team that won 48 games last year. And a team this year that is wildly underachieved. And how you view them, I mean, you can go both ways on this. 
You know, you could say, well, a lot of injuries, they've had the hardest schedule, and they're one in seven in games decided by like three or four points or less. And that eventually that allows to turn around. They're going to have a very easy schedule. They're getting healthier. Precious Achua is back. And, um, you know, eventually things will work out. Maybe they don't win 48 games, but they still a team that can make the play-in tournament, can win the play-in tournament, and can at least give a scare in a first round. So, and it really just depends how you feel about them, about Masai, about Nick Nurse. On the other end, they can't shoot, and um, defensively, they've taken a big hit back. But a lot of the conversation has been about Fred Van Vliet, and he shot the ball horribly this year. In the clutch moments, horribly. But then there's the other side to it. Fred Van Vliet is still usually at the end of the games, wins or losses, he usually ends up with the best plus-minus. And every time he leaves a game, every time he leaves, the team gets outscored by like 12, by 14 points. And, and we see this over and over again. Toronto led against Portland 92-76. Just over 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. He takes a seat. Portland cuts the lead. Like massive, massive. You know, they just they just eat into it every time he leaves. Last night, Damian Lillard hit a three, made it 97-94. Fran Vliet, back-to-back three-pointers, giving the Raptors a nine-point edge with just under six minutes to go. And there was an interesting line by an article from Josh Lewenberg. You have to be able to differentiate his poor shooting nights from his bad games. He's had a lot of the former this year, but only a few of the latter. They're not always mutually exclusive, as was the case over the past two games when he he combined to shoot 7 for 23, but he was still the Raptors' best player. And I've, I've bounced back and forth of my thoughts on Van Vliet. I think in the end, and to echo what Josh was saying, I don't think the team has put him in a position to succeed. Now, part of it is his size. He's not a big guy. He's playing so many heavy, heavy minutes. He's averaging more than 40 minutes over his past 10 games. For a guy of that size, that is not, that's not a recipe for success, especially because this has been happening the last couple of years. The Raptors have never provided Van Vliet with a proper backup. Malachi Flynn hasn't done it. You know, the Raps going into the Portland game, the Raps have been outscored by 31 points in Flynn's 39 scoreless minutes. So every time Van Vliet would sit down, other team would go on a long run. The issue with this team is how bad they are when Fred is not on the court. You know, go back to the Knicks game. He played the entire third quarter. Started the fourth quarter on the bench. Two minutes in, Knicks went on an 8-0 run. Toronto's down by 11. Van Vliet, come on, get back out there. When you have to do that over and over and over again, it's going to wear on the body. So my own feelings on Van Vliet is when I look at what's wrong with the Raptors, part of it is, yes, what is Fred not doing late in games? You know, he's not hitting shots. He's not hitting open shots. How much of it's on him? How much of it's on his whatever injuries he's dealing with? And how much of it is on the entire Raptors organization for not putting him in a position to succeed? Now, they get the win last night, halted a five-game uh, losing streak. Uh, they won for just the second time in nine home games and just the fourth time in their past 15 overall. 
Siakam and Scotty Barnes back, back, uh, bounce back offensively from tough nights against the Knicks. Siakam with 27, Barnes with 22. And then the big issue is what's going to happen um, with, with Fred, who can has a player option after this year. And Van Vliet, there was all these reports that the team offered him a contract and that he turned it down. Well, let's hear from Fred himself on just all the rumors about him being offered an extension. Let me make this statement on the on the on the contract. Um, you know, I, I spoke about this before the season. Again, um, I would never speak on my free agency or contract negotiations, especially between conversations between me and um, management. So it certainly didn't come from me. But um, I was never, <clears throat> excuse me, I was never made a formal offer. Uh, it was a mutual decision by both sides that the smart thing to do would be to wait it out. There was no rush, given that I can still sign the extension um, all the way throughout the end of the season. So take my word for it. Um, I understand we're in the era of taking a two sentences out of an article and making it a tweet. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get 300 messages last night that I turned down $114 million, which is not the case. When the Raptors traded Kyle Lowry, Lowry was about what, six, seven, eight years older than how old Fred Van Vliet is now. Also, when they traded Lowry, that was in the bubble, that was at stupid time in Tampa, and there was nothing the Raptors could do that year. And also, at least the Raptors had a plan in place. All right, Lowry, uh, we can move on from Lowry because here's Fred Van Vliet. The problem is, if you get rid of Fred Van Vliet, if you trade him, if you don't offer him an extension, who's your point guard? Now, I know there's lots of point guards in the NBA, and it's a lot easier to replace than what it was. Like, the point guard position isn't as valuable as it was maybe 25, 30 years ago. But right now, it's Malachi Flynn and Delano Banton. That's not an answer. Neither one of those guys is ready to be a starter. Hell, uh, for most of this year, neither one of them have been ready to be a backup. The bench has been uh, the biggest on-court issue with this team. So it's funny, just over the... I don't know how you feel about it, uh, Chris, but over the last 48 hours or so, my opinions, like, and just reading with Lewinberg, and we'll have him on the show tomorrow to talk about it, but my perspective... It's like my perspective on Pascal Siakam has changed over the years. My, my, my thoughts on Van Vliet have changed like over the last month. I don't know. I think it's mine, tough. I think mine have, mine have kind of maintained the same sort of angle. Um, I think you have to separate... Fred Van Fleet, the player, what he represents to the Raptors, how important he was in their title stretch run, from sort of the realities of how players age. Like he is going to be 29 in a month, and he has been injured, you know, quite on and off over the last two years. And I, I don't know. I just, I just wonder if a player like Fred kind of caps your ceiling, like. You know, the NBA kind of works in big threes. That's the way that, you know, the league has shifted. Can Fred Van Fleet be the third best player on a championship team? No. I don't think he can either. No, 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 no. The, the, to me, the question is, is can, can someone develop into a better player than Siakam? That, to me, is the number one issue with the Raptors. Well, it would be Barnes or no one, right? Yes, I, yeah. I, I don't think realistically there's anyone that you could. No. And, and you were talking about who might replace Fred in the instance that they trade him. 
I think Scotty Barnes might be the guy that they would try. I mean, he's not a conventional point guard, but he did play point in college, and he himself has been requesting to play point guard more. So I kind of wonder if that's the route they might go, because you're right, you're probably not going to find someone better than Fred in free agency. Ah, see, you've been away from me for so long. Trust me, I have been doing lots of chatter about could Scotty Barnes be a point guard. We're going to have to save that. we got to go. Um, this man, Austin Mock, does a great job with The Athletic, um, covering all things NFL, modeling, figuring out what are the best lines, project, uh, pro- pro- oh boy, um, projections and predictions. I tried to combine those two words into one hybrid word that means nothing. All you need to know, the man is damn good when it comes to looking ahead to the NFL, and he's going to join the show next. The best news coming out of the NFL has nothing to do with the fact that Bill Belichick is not in the playoffs, but the fact that DeMar Hamlin has been discharged from the hospital and is returning home to Buffalo. This from the physicians at the University of Cincinnati. What a difference a week makes. That is some incredible news. Uh, joining me now, I can't believe we haven't had him on all year. I read his I read his work throughout the season, and maybe I shouldn't tell him I read his work because I finished one game over five hundred. One lousy game, but again, I did finish over five hundred. From the Athletic, covering all things NFL, NFL modeling, projection. I did it again. Predictions and projections. It is Austin Mock. And Austin, I'm trying to combine pre- uh, uh, prediction and projection into one mouthful of a word. But thank you for joining the show today. Projection, it's basically the same thing, just, you know, you know semantics at that point. <clears throat> it is. My problem is I talk fast, so as I'm trying to promote, say, and with uh, projections and predictions, and then the two words just sort of get mangled together. Um, a lot to get into. Uh, your thoughts overall, and you can take this from a betting perspective or just a football perspective, that of the teams making the playoffs this year, half of them were not in it last year. And I mean, I know it's the norm, but it still feels remarkable every year at the end of the year when it's like, wait a minute, seven teams were not in it last season. Yeah, I think that's the goal of the unbalanced schedule that they have. You know, the Chargers were like, you know, seconds away from being able to to make the playoffs last year. Uh, You know, Pittsburgh made it last year. They were, you know, right there if, if, uh, you know, the Jets can pull through against the Dolphins. So I think that unbalanced schedule, even though this year was so particularly close with like, it seemed like the middle 20 teams were all pretty equal. Um, I think that's that's pretty much the goal with the NFL. They want this quick turnover to keep the the fans engaged. And you know what? It, it, it's a cool thing. You know, we saw you mentioned Tom Brady there, or, or Bill Belichick and the Patriots. We saw them win too much. It's good to see some fresh faces in the league uh, in the playoffs here. <clears throat> oh yeah, a hundred percent. But who do you trust? And I imagine. The answer is probably the Chargers just because of Justin Herbert. I mean, that's a quarterback with so much arm talent. And if they're fully healthy, there is a bunch of talent on that team. But Dolphins, Raiders, Jags, Chargers, Giants, Vikings, and the Seattle Seahawks. All those teams are in the playoffs this year. None of them were in it last year. Which of those teams do you trust the most? Um, It's... Probably the Jaguars. Uh, the answer would be the Dolphins if, 
if the quarterback situation was clear and Tua was able to go. Um, I guess there's he's not out yet, per se, but I'd probably go with the Jags. They're playing at home. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is looking to be the real deal, and, you know, obviously trust, I think, starts with the quarterback position uh, in, in the NFL, and you know, he, he didn't have the greatest game against the Titans, but, you know, over the second half of the year, he was, you know, playing easily as a top-ten quarterback in the league. Um, and, you know, Peterson's been there. He's a good offensive mind. I, I think their offense in, starts with Trevor Lawrence. I think that's the team that I trust most. I don't trust their defense, but we've seen, like, I didn't nobody trusts the Bengals' defense last year, but, you know, you saw yeah. what Gerald, Joe Burrow was, and, and we could see them, uh, you know, the I could see the the Jags having kind of a similar run. <clears throat> Brock Purdy, six and zero, great passer rating, nice numbers, and certainly played better in the Forty ers offense than Trey Lance has, and they've had close to the same amount of snaps. When you look at the Forty ers is there enough talent around Brock Purdy, and is the coaching staff good enough? Uh, and it's nothing against Brock Purdy, but when someone goes, well, you know, Kurt Warner did it. I'm like, yeah, that was 24 years ago. Don't use an outlier for the, uh, you know, to win an argument. But is there enough around the 49ers where they can go to a Super Bowl with Mr. Irrelevant throwing passes? I, I think there is. I think it kind of helps too that the NFC playoffs aren't as strong this year. Uh, yeah, the, the playoff teams, you know, that that helps. And uh, you know, you look at Purdy. There's not a lot of, you know deficiencies in his game so far kind of reminds me honestly of a jimmy g light if you will he, he, you know game manager but can still make i'm not going to say he makes all the throws but he does it's not like he's dumping off all the time he, he's you know that offense obviously helps that and the weapons they have but uh there's nothing really he doesn't really struggle against the blitz he's been fine it went pressured um it's it, it's kind of been crazy how his development has there really hasn't been a drop-off yet and and if he can just limit the mistakes you know we always say jimmy g had those those back-breaking mistakes i think it's kind of the same thing again because the defense is incredible and obviously debo samuel christian mccaffrey george kittle brandon Ayuk's been playing incredible yeah uh, there are a lot of weapons for them to to go and i i think they're they're definitely alive to make a run to the super bowl for sure <clears throat> yeah no and, and by the way austin again joined by austin mock from the athletic it's a great point that you don't have to go through the same gauntlet you don't have josh burrow you don't have uh, uh excuse me um you don't have joe burrow josh allen you know all the great quarterbacks in the afc that he will not have to face in the nfc um, big deal, little deal, or no deal that the Cowboys laid such an egg against Washington? Uh, I'm not going to look too much into it. Uh, you know, it was one of those things all week. You, you hear the Giants aren't going to be playing anybody, so, you know, there's a little bit of a mental thing there where uh, our game's probably not going to matter because the Eagles should cruise to a victory. Um, and I don't know how much words like early in that game are they getting a, a, a you know some scores you know updates because Eagles went up pretty early in that game. Uh, I'm not going to panic. Uh, I don't love the matchups. You know, obviously when you face Tom Brady in the playoffs, it's not great. But I'm not you know I did not significantly downgrade them because of a, a basically meaning a meaningless game against the Commanders in Week 18. I, I'm not taking too much stock in that. How, how much fun was that? Forget about the analytics. Just how much fun was that Lions win last night over the Packers? Oh, it was awesome. Um, just like, you know, with the hard knocks and Dan Campbell, I felt like, you know, he was kind of a, like America's hero, sweetheart, whatever you want to call him, to begin the year. And they started off rocky. It's unfortunate that the Rams couldn't pull out the win because that would have been just great drama. But 
that really felt like kind of the turn for the Lions franchise. Um, it, it, it seems that way. Like, they finally got past. I know they didn't make the playoffs, but, like, that team, uh, they played great over the second half of the year. I don't think, you know, it's one of those things, would you rather play the Seahawks, Lions, or Giants if you're one of the top teams in the in the NFC? And I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think anybody's picking the Lions of that the Lions of that group. No, oh no, oh no! But oh God, that was just fun. And then Captain Grumpy loses. The fun, you know what the fun thing is, Austin? I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like most people last night we were all rooting for the Lions, especially after that Quay Walker um, uh, uh, penalty where he shoved the uh, the athletic trainer. But I feel that last night we were laughing that Green Bay missed the playoffs. But come Friday night, I think a lot of us are going to miss not having Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. It adds a little more gravitas and nothing against Geno Smith, who had a truly remarkable year for the nine-win Seahawks. Yeah, you know, I have Green Bay rated higher than Seattle on a neutral. So I think we do lose a little bit of, you know, maybe a closer game. Uh, against against the Niners, and, and I think their ceiling was higher for sure. You know, they they just it, it, they couldn't get anything going early in the season. Rogers had the thumb injury. Uh, you know, he said it was it was better, and and he was fine. And you know, the offense was better over the last month of the season. So, I do I, I would give Green Bay a better chance of beating uh, San Fran. But like, like you said at the top of the show here, or top of the segment here, uh, it's it's nice to have some new faces. But yeah, we might see uh, a little bit more less of a good game in that San Fran Seattle game now. <clears throat> Speaking of your numbers, and again, you do all the modeling for every game for the entire season. It's a ton of work, and it's good on you. I probably should have paid a little bit more attention to it because again, one game over five hundred. Do your models, how different are they from the actual standings where, you know, Kansas City's the number one seed, Buffalo's the number two seed, Eagles are number one, San Fran is two. Do your final numbers, are they lockstep in the standings or is there anything that's wildly divergent? Um, uh, the Chargers are above the, the Jaguars in the AFC. Um, Baltimore's tough because with Lamar Jackson out, and right. even if he does play, you know, he might not be near 100%, and obviously his legs are so important to his game. I would say that's probably the only thing in the AFC. Um, the Dolphins would have been different with two, obviously, but the, uh, the Vikings are the big one in the, uh, in the NFC. I don't, I don't have. I have them basically tied with the Buccaneers, and then I have the Cowboys over both of them. Um, they would be the third team, and then I actually have San Fran and, and Philadelphia about equal as well. So pretty much, you know, the te- the good teams went out for the most part in the NFL. Uh, but you know, when you get in the definitely with the division winners automatically getting the four seed, you you can get some weird things. And then obviously the Vikings, uh, you know, what were they eleven and one in one score games? That's gonna that's going to that's gonna have their rating much worse than what their record says. How the hell do you prognosticate Vikings-Giants? I'm a Giants fan. I've been one for you know, 30 years, but I just I never liked them. I never liked their talent on paper. Every win was by two points. Um, they're taking on a Vikings team that won 13 games but got outscored on the season. How the, like, I look at this game, and no one likes Kurt Cousins. And everyone loves the Giants coaching staff, but I don't think many people like the Giants talent beyond a couple of their pass rushers. Yeah, this is it's kind of is that, you know, we don't we don't love Cousins, but Cousins he's that guy, it just seems like he's not good enough to be like on an elite offense or team, uh but he's still a good quarterback. It's one of those he's kind of in no man's land if you will. 
Um, and, and Daniel Jones, I mean, he's played well this year, but like you said, I, I, the second half of the year I think was a little less inspiring than the first half. They've kind of been trending, but they still win games. Brian Dayball has been fantastic, obviously, but um, I do lean a little bit. The, the Vikings at minus uh, three, I make it a little bit closer to four, so I'll be on the Vikings uh, in this game, which scares the crap out of me because, again, they cannot, <laughs> neither team, neither team no. can win by margin, uh, it seems. Thankfully, it's only three because that makes it a little easier, but um, yeah, it, it, it's it's really like Saquon Barkley's explosive run rate was really good early in the season. That's kind of fallen off. So I don't know if that's people adjusting to the new, uh, you know, scheme that Daniel Jones is playing in. Um, but I, I just, I don't love the trajectory of where the Giants are going. And I, I just, I, you know, it goes back to, I think they have the better quarterback. They have the best player in the game in Justin Jefferson. Uh, so I, I do lean Vikings there. It, it, it's not the greatest matchup, but I do think it's uh, it's, it's kind of a fun matchup with uh, two, I think, good coaching staffs. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think the coaching staffs might be the most impressive thing. And, of course, uh, Justin Jefferson as well. Um, if you're looking at your models, just looking back at the, at the year that was in the NFL, which team was the bigger disappointment? The five-win Bronco team that got Russell Wilson or the four-win Cardinals team that had recently extended the coach, the GM, and the quarterback? Two of them are gone, and the other one is always banged up. Yeah, I think it's I think it's got to be the Broncos. I, I, the Bronco, the division tougher than what the NFC West was, but uh, the Broncos, you know, the 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 I don't know if it was the coaching staff. I don't know if Wilson looked better, you know, after they got rid of Hackett. Um, but you know, the defense was good this year for the most part, and and you really thought the offense was going to take the next step with Wilson at quarterback. Um, and I don't think anybody had them not contending at least for a playoff spot. And they weren't even close from like week one. We kind of knew like, wow, this team might be in, in big trouble. Um, Arizona, I wasn't as high on. Uh, I thought last year, you know, they started out the year really great and then they kind of fell off. I wasn't super high on them going into the year. So the Broncos definitely were the bigger uh, disappointment for me just because all facets that, that that was just like a lost season of what Russell Wilson's waning, you know, prime if you will i don't know if it's still a prime but uh you know there's not too many years left for for him to to win games well at the very least with their number five pick overall denver can address oh wait no that's gone to seattle and <laughs> geno smith set single season passing records uh austin really appreciate thank you so much for joining the show and everyone out there check out his work at the athletic if you haven't caught it for the regular season the postseason's coming up this weekend thanks so much for joining the show yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah, you as well. That is Austin Mock from The Athletic. All right, on the other side, we'll give our pick for the national championship game and sound of the day. That's coming up right after traffic. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cos. Lakers taking on the Nuggets tonight. And keep in mind, LeBron James has been downgraded from probable to questionable. So keep an eye on that uh, in terms of if you're going to make any bets, prop bets, or betting uh, straight up, money line, spread, whatever you want. Just be careful. Uh, we haven't really talked about the national championship, but just today's show was so packed. I mean, we didn't even get enough in, into the Maple Leafs. And for me, the best moment of, of last night's Leafs game was the two incredible passes, one by Marner setting up uh, Jan Kroc's first goal and the other by John Tavares setting up Austin Matthews's uh, power play goal that made it 6-2 in their win last night against uh, Philadelphia. But as for the national championship, you've got um, 
you got TCU taking on Georgia. So you got Cinderella versus history. Cinderella is TCU. They were projected, predicted to finish seventh in the Big 12. Their starting quarterback, who finished runner-up in the Heisman, wasn't even the opening game starter. Uh, you know, so a, a, a great story by TCU. Usually great stories get stomped by great talent. Georgia 14-0, vying to become the first team to win back-to-back titles in the college football playoff era. That's why, for me, I like Georgia. Obviously, money line. I like Georgia. They're, they're favored by 13 and a half. I hate, to, I hate to say this, Chris. I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia rolls. I'm taking all SEC here. Boo you. You don't want the I, underdog to win. I thought that I want or don't want. It's what I think is going to happen. And fair enough. There is a distinction between those two things. Uh, It's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, if the underdog does lose, we could see a dynasty starting on the other side of things. I don't think we've seen a back-to-back champion since Nick Saban in Alabama uh, almost 10 years ago. So uh, pretty rare that it happens. It would be. It would be really cool. All right. We do this at the end of each and every show. It is time now for Sound of the Day. Sound of the Day. Sound of the Day. Here comes the sound of the day. And for sound of the day, I need to let you know this ahead of time. This is running back Jamal Williams of the Lions. Lions upset the Packers. Packers are not in the playoffs. Jamal Williams sets a record for rushing touchdowns, beats Barry Sanders' record. And 30 seconds before what you're going to hear, he was in tears. It was wonderful, just weeping, open emotion. And then he ends it. it, it it's, it's an emotional swing. Here's the end of it. Jamal Williams, his walk-off interview. In those days, stop playing us, man. We made we the Detroit Lions. We the Detroit Lions. Stop playing with us. I don't even watch TV, but I heard everybody already picked their picked the Packers over us. Stop playing with us. That's all <laughs> I gotta say, man. Don't let these tears fool you. It's all dog around this mug. I'm good. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever seen a swing of emotions that drastic. If you heard him crying, like, this guy was, like, pouring his heart out. Yes. And then all of a sudden, it's like he has to get back into the role. He's like, hey, stop doubting us. Oh, yeah, because he was very emotional. Remember, I think he was one of the guys in... um in the hard knocks, just in tears. So no, this was a great interview with him. This back and forth game where the Lions come back and win it. He's in tears. He's thanking his teammates the season. Why you play football? And then everything just record scratch completely changes. And then he's like, bleep y'all, bleep Green Bay. We won. This is awesome. Ignore the tears that were streaming down my face for the last 45 seconds. I've got to say, though, there, there is some clown behavior going on by the Lions right now. Based on how some of them are acting, you would think that they made the playoffs. They won the division. Like, get a grip. You're still an embarrassing franchise. They've won one playoff game since 1990. Let them enjoy this moment. You're not all wrong. No. That is it for us. It is Overdrive next. It is Jeff O'Neill, Jamie McLennan, Brian Hayes. They got you coming up right after traffic.